You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Open your Bibles with me to Romans 13, please. So last week, I mean, I thought it was amazing having Matt Hand with us from, from Compassion. We had over 30 people take home profiles to sponsor kids, which is amazing. But as of yesterday, we only had five people actually follow through with those profiles and sign up. So as Elodie is encouraging you, please don't forget to do that. I know what happens is we take them home, we put them on top of the fridge or stick them up there, and then we forget that you actually have to get online and sign up. Um, if you can't or you, you, you know, you're not able to, like she said, please bring them back because those kids are actually set aside for us. Um, so they put them sort of on hold for us to sponsor them, same with the ones that are out there. And so we would love to see somebody else be able to sponsor them or release them so that, um, so that somebody else outside of our gathering can sponsor them as well. Um, is that cool? Amazing. We're planning uh, almost all of those kids that have been set aside for us are from either Joe Jakarta in Indonesia or Cebu in Philippines. Um, and so when we, when we get to go next year uh, on trips to either of those places, we would love to be able to go visit those kids as well and kind of make it part of our, our time of ministry, um, which I think would be, be fantastic and just such a powerful thing to do. So two weeks ago, as Paul mentioned, we started a series that we called Dressed for the Kingdom. Can you say Dressed for the Kingdom? My question for you is this, who are you wearing like the, uh, like the actors and actresses coming on the red carpet, they say, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Who are you dressed in? It's not Tom Ford or, you know, whoever your designer clothes label is. We should, the response of us as believers should be, I'm wearing Jesus Christ. I'm wearing Jesus. I've put on Christ. In our culture, we very heavily link this idea of clothing or what we wear with identity and status. All you have to do is walk through Chadston and see the security guards at the front of the shops to realize that we link what we wear and what we have with our identity and our status. I don't think that that's a kingdom thing to do, but there is a kingdom reality to that in the spiritual sense. It reflects when we put on Jesus Christ our status as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It actually should determine how we view ourselves and our identity in Jesus by the fact that we're clothed in Christ. Not what we wear physically, but, but who we are, what we wear spiritually. Putting on Christ, being dressed for the kingdom, transforms our identity. So in this series that we're, that, that we're going to delve into over the coming weeks, we want to unpack the significance as some of the things the Lord tells us to put on as believers. There's a laying off, there's a putting off, but there's also things we're called to put on. And not just what those things are. We don't want to just hit the surface level of, you know, what is it? Let me explain it to you. But we want to go deeper and say, how does that shape our identity? How does that shape how we live our lives as followers of Jesus? What needs to change in my life? See, one of the things is when we gather like this on a Sunday... It's not just to go through religious motions. You might be new. This might be your first time with us, or you've only come a couple times, and you're used to sort of church as a spectator sport. I don't believe church is a spectator sport. Church is full participation. Every single one of us has a part to play. So every time we gather, we're asking this question, God, what do you want to say to me? How, how, how should I be transformed? What's my part to play? What does this look like for me? 
Even when we come to worship, can I encourage you, when we come to worship, we don't come just to watch some musicians sing songs. We actually come to make much of Jesus. Our first and foremost reason for gathering should be to bring glory to Jesus. Not what we get, but what we can give and what we bring. It transforms the way we approach even a gathering like this. Can I suggest that if you're rolling in 10 minutes late, that you haven't caught this idea that I have a part to play and something to bring for Jesus? I'm not having a go at you this morning, but I am just encouraging you. Maybe you need to adjust your mindset to gathering. See, when we understand that even in our worship, it's about what I bring and what I give to him. And yes, of course we receive. And of course we're undone in his presence and, and we're, we're enlarged. But it's actually about my ministry to him that it transforms the way I approach every gathering. I, 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 I prepare my heart. I get up early. I spend time with the Lord. I come here early because I know from the very beginning I want to honor his presence. I want to honor him and who he is. I don't, I don't want to roll in with my coffee in hand to stand and watch some musicians sing some songs. That's dishonoring the presence of God. When we talk about being dressed for the kingdom, there's an honor that comes with the, the garments of salvation. There's an honor that comes with being priests whose calling is to serve Jesus and to bring glory to him and to offer sacrifices of praise. I get that sometimes there's things that happen, but when it's a normal, regular thing, can I suggest that we're actually dishonoring the presence of God? Set your alarm a little bit earlier. Get up and spend time with him before you come. If you're waiting for a word from the Lord or a touch from God only in our gathering times, then you're living on the bare minimum. You're living below the minimum. You're living on the crumbs. And God wants to give you like a, a, a slow-cooked lamb roast meal, and you're living on breadcrumbs. And he's saying like, I mean, can you just imagine, yeah, you imagine that, and you guys can smell it with mashed potatoes and gravy and, oh. It's always mashed I love mashed potatoes. Elodie, that's not her favorite. She wants roast potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. Pretty much I could live on them with gravy. Hugo only just discovered gravy like three weeks ago. He didn't, like, he didn't like gravy. He said, no, 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 no. I just had the potatoes on their own with butter. And then I was like, you have to try this. You are living on crumbs. <laughs> this is a prophetic picture. I was like, I'm going to put gravy on your potatoes. Just one, so I'll put a little bit aside, put gravy on it. And he was like, what is this goodness? And literally, now, every time he eats anything, he's like, do we have gravy? And I was like, no, no, no. You have to make the roast to have the gravy. He's like, oh, come on, can we just make gravy to make potatoes, to put the gravy on the potatoes? <laughs> potatoes are just a gravy delivery service. <laughs> but we live on crumbs as believers. We live on, like, potatoes with no gravy. God's saying, I want to give you the gravy today on those mashed potatoes. I want the full roast meal. Get up, spend time in his presence. Set it aside. Come ready to minister to him. I guarantee I will give you a personal guarantee that if you do that, you will get far more out of a gathering than if you just come going, God, will you give something to me? And we roll in late and we go, oh, I don't know. It just wasn't that great. I don't know why I didn't get anything this morning. Because you're not honoring his presence. So we're saying, what is it, how does it shape our identity, what we're called to put on? What's the spiritual clothing 
of sons and daughters of the Most High God? What's the spiritual clothing of a kingdom of priests whose calling is to extend the kingdom by making disciples, whose calling is to minister to Jesus? Before we even minister to each other, it's to minister to him, to make much of him. What does that look like? What does it mean? What does it look like to be dressed for the kingdom? None of you would, would get up in the morning and go, hey, this is good enough. I'm going to wear my pajamas to church this morning. Henry might. No, he wouldn't actually. Henry's the most well-dressed out of everyone in the church. He lays out his clothes the week before for church because he's ready, bow tie and all, dressed up shirt, hat, the whole thing. He's a class act. Exactly. None of us would get up and go, ah, these, these ratty pajamas are good enough. No, no. We get dressed to come to church. We should dress ourselves for the kingdom. We don't go, this is good enough. We want to bring a beautiful offering to him. Have you found Romans 13? Verse 12 to 14 says this, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. I just think it's amazing that he throws quarreling and jealousy in with drunkenness, sexual immorality, and orgies. Because we like to make a whole law out of what we think is, is sin and downplay jealousy, quarreling, pride. That's not my preach this morning, but I just found it amazing. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, gratifying its desires. Galatians 3, verse 26 to 27. says, in Christ Jesus, you all, y'all, y'all are sons and daughters. You all are sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many as, uh, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I love that. So we started this series a couple weeks ago by looking at the thread of salvation history being linked to being clothed. If you weren't here two weeks ago, jump on, listen to the podcast. We unpacked being clothed with the garment of salvation. I, found, I find it amazing that right from Genesis to Revelation, there is a salvation thread about being clothed, about God clothing us, about God covering our shame and our guilt and our nakedness. Our, our, in Genesis, it was the physical, and in the New Testament, it's the spiritual. It's that God wants to clothe us with Jesus. The starting point of this series, before we get to anything else, before we move into, you know, what, what are the benefits or how do we live in this, is that we're clothed with garments of salvation. Literally, we put on Jesus Christ. From that place, everything else flows. If you're here this morning and you, don't, you haven't put on Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of my time speaking to actually say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Because that's where it starts. Everything else that, that, that we talk about and everything else I'm going to mention this morning flows from that starting place. The garments of salvation are a free gift of grace. It changes everything, but there's nothing you can do to earn it. It changes everything about your life, but there's nothing you can do to say, I'm good enough to receive this. It's a free gift. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 61? This week, I want to jump a little bit deeper into what does it mean for us to be covered in the robe of righteousness? You are quick, my son. You are on the ball today. Thank you. This is one of the results. Being covered in the robe of righteousness, one of the results or the benefits of salvation. It says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul, my soul, my soul, 
My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. There is the promise of the garments of salvation. There's this beautiful exchange that takes place of mourning and ashes and a faint spirit for beauty and gladness and praise, for shame and brokenness to be exchanged for robes of righteousness and beauty. One of the benefits of salvation is that he covers us or he clothes us with robes of righteousness. In Psalm 132 verse 9, it says, let your priests, who are the priests? We are. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are a priest. He says, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and your saints with shouts of joy. Who are the saints? We are. They're not only the ones who have been, I don't even know what the word is, canonized, sanctified. (laughs) They're not only the ones who the Catholic Church has said these are saints. In Christ Jesus, the Bible says that we are all priests and saints. So he says, let us be clothed in robes of righteousness and let us shout for joy. You guys ready to, this is full participation, I told you. Okay, we're going to give him a shout of joy. On three. (laughs) (laughs) We got a hoo-ha and a (laughs) hoo. Can we do shouts of joy this morning? Is there joy in the house? One, two, three. Yeah! (laughs) There we go. Okay. Hey. Following Jesus is fun. It says, uh, though your sorrow may last for a night, joy comes in the morning. Yeah? Who's going to get some joy this morning? Come on. Righteousness means this. Literally, the quality of being morally right or justifiable. What does that mean? It means having right standing before the Lord. It means being justified, which literally means this. Just as if I never sinned. On the cross, Jesus took our sin and our brokenness and our guilt and our shame and he put it upon himself. This idea of this beautiful exchange. He actually wore our sin and our guilt and our shame on his body to the cross. And he paid the price that we deserve for our sin and our wrongdoing. And in exchange... He didn't just take it, but in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. It's as as if he was wearing a a cloak or a robe, a covering of righteousness, and he took it off, and he took our dirty rags and our guilt and our shame, and he put that on, and he said, let me cover you with my righteousness. And the reason that that exchange can exist is because he died and he rose again. And the Bible says that whoever would believe in him will have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. It's talking about Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Literally when we come to Jesus for salvation, we, when we put on Christ, he takes his righteousness and he gives it to us. So when God looks at us, when God looks at you, Paul Zanardo, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. When God looks at you, Jason Edwards, he doesn't see the Jason Edwards of pre-Christ. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. 
We say rose-colored glasses. He, we, he has Jesus-colored glasses. It's actually more like he covers us. I like the idea of a, like an invisibility cloak. I think it gives us this invisibility cloak that when he sees us, he just sees righteousness. We know that before Jesus, there's history and there's guilt and there's shame and there's stuff and it's like, it's like filthy rags. Because of this exchange, when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, which means that he's able to relate with us intimately because he's a holy God. He's so holy and, he's, and he is righteous and he can't exist with sin. So if he didn't do something to deal with our sin, then there's no way we could be in his presence because we would just be burnt up because of his glory. Yet he gives us the righteousness of Jesus so that we can actually walk in intimacy with him. He deals with our sin problem. I've sat with so many people over the years who've asked something like this question. Can God forgive me for the mistakes that I've made? It's one of the big hindrances. Often you might hear this when we go on the streets, like we will next week, uh, and outreach to people. This idea that I'm too far gone. If you, you might hear it like this. If you only knew what I'd done. But here's the thing. It's not just out there. It might be more in your face out there. People might actually say it to you, but actually we carry that in here. Matt, if you only knew what I'd done. Can I really be saved? Am I too far gone? It's in here as well. And I think many of us, if, if not all of us, struggle or have struggled with this thought at times. But the truth is this. The moment we repent and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our Father in heaven forgives us of all of our sins and he makes us his child. So right now, if you're following Jesus, that's who you are. You are his beloved child. When he looks at you, he sees righteousness. When he looks at you, he sees his child. When he looks at you, he loves you. He doesn't look at all the stuff before. He doesn't see all the sin. He doesn't see all the, the things that you remember. He sees the righteousness of Christ. No matter how many times you failed, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how, how terrible you think your sins are, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus is greater than every sin, every mistake, everything that you can remember. He's greater. You're wearing the robe of righteousness. If we don't get this, we'll always be stuck in that place of guilt and shame. We'll always be stuck in that place of, uh, of, of am I good enough? Is, is Christ powerful enough? Am I really saved? Can I really come before a holy God? Can I really uh, uh, walk in his presence? God makes this promise to you in, in his word. In Isaiah 1 verse 18, in the NLT, it says this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. That's the power of the cross in our lives. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are washed away. There's a washing, once and for all, made white as snow. Have you ever, I don't know if you guys have ever been to the snow. My parents lived in Denver, Colorado, where it snows a lot in winter. And when the fresh snow falls, and then the sun comes out, it's blindingly bright and dazzling. If you don't wear sunglasses, your eyes will get burned. 
If you don't put sunscreen on, you think, oh, it's winter. If you don't put sunscreen on, you will be red and crispy. It, the, the sun reflects, because the snow is like, it is crystals. It's so like crisp and pure that it reflects and dazzles as the sun hits it. If you've never seen it, make it a bucket list thing at one point to go to real mountains. Henry, play, Henry played football in uh, the Yarra Valley yesterday. And the boys were like, look at the mountains. And Elodie's like, meh, the kind of hills. Somebody said it. In your heart. That's how our, our Heavenly Father sees us right now. Clothed in a gleaming robe of righteousness, white as snow. No impurity. We have to get this. I know I'm laboring the point, but if we don't get this point, it affects everything else about our identity in Christ. From garments of salvation and robes of righteousness, if we don't understand that the transaction of salvation is that we put on the robe of righteousness, we will never stand in our full identity in, in Jesus Christ. There'll always be this niggle in the back of your mind, and there'll always be a place for the enemy to say, you're not good enough. If, you hearing, if you're hearing that voice this morning, you're not good enough. This isn't for you. You're not, you. you're not made right. He's talking to everyone else. It's a lie of the enemy. And if you get this truth and you say, no, no, I'm covered in the robe of righteousness. The enemy can't get to me in there. I'm under the protection of the Lord. When he sees me, he sees Jesus. He sees his right standing. It transforms your identity in Christ. And from that place, we step into impact and power and outreach. And we walk in the fullness. And there isn't room for the lie of the enemy because whenever it comes up, we rebuke it right then and there. When the enemy says, no, but I remember your past, you can say, yeah, but Jesus doesn't. When a friend brings up, yeah, but you used to be like this, you can say, thank you, but I'm not that anymore. What have I done to deserve this robe of righteousness? Turn with me to Luke 15. I'm going to read from verse 11. Sorry, Hugo, I think I had verse 15 on the notes, but I'm going to go from 11. I hope that's cool. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. So Jesus telling a parable. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Since he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here in hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring, uh, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father covers the son with his best robe. He sees him from a long way off. He said, he's coming. He's coming. Quick, get ready. I think he had, he had lookouts stationed. He was praying. As many of you are, God, bring that son, bring that daughter home. God, bring that family member. You've, you, you've posted a lookout in the night hours in prayer to say, God, bring him home. And he sees him far off. And he says, let's get ready. Let's get ready. There's going to be a celebration. And he runs to him. He doesn't sit back. He runs to him. I love that the son still says, God, there's a repentant heart. He doesn't just come back and say, I've squandered my inheritance. Give me some more. And he goes, no, no. I have sinned against you and against the Lord. There's repentance. But the father's response is this. I'm going to cover you with the best robe. And put a ring on your hand. Even though the son walked away from his father's house and he squandered his inheritance and he lived like he wasn't a son, the father covers him and restores his identity and his belonging. See, the best robe is a picture of the robe of righteousness. It's a picture of that robe of righteousness that, that our heavenly father clothes us with when we receive Jesus. What did the son do? to deserve the father's embrace or the best robe that the father commands his hired servants to bring him quickly. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What did he do to deserve it? Nothing. Actually, he did everything to not deserve it. He took his inheritance. He took what was his family's and his father's and he squandered it and he wasted it and he spent it on things he shouldn't have spent it on. And yet when he comes back, the father sees him and says, bring the best robe. Bring the robe of righteousness. Restore his identity. You belong here. The robe of righteousness is a free gift. He came with the intention of just being a servant in the father's house. The father said, no, you're a son. No, you're part of the family. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. This is why everything we hear about what the father did to welcome his son home is a picture of our heavenly father's amazing grace. Because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it. Not only does he give him the robe of righteousness and, and cover him and say, you belong and you have identity, but he gives him the ring of authority as well. And despite his wandering and his squandering, he says, as a son, even though you don't deserve it, and even though you wasted it, I'm covering you with the robe of righteousness, and because you're a son in the house, you have authority again. That's why this is so powerful. That's why we can't go past this. When we're talking about being dressed for the kingdom, it's an identity reality. Yeah. You're covered with the robe of righteousness.
speaks to belonging. It speaks to your identity. And in that, he gives you the ring of authority. That because of who the Father is, because of who God is, because we walk in relationship with him, you walk in authority. You walk in a kingdom authority. When you get this, authority comes. When we understand this, when we live in that place of, can I be saved? You don't really know what I've done. Like, I'm remembering my past. I'm living in that place. We live in a place of a lack of authority. When we understand this and we step into, no, I'm covered in the robes of righteousness. Because of Jesus, I may write before the Lord, which means I can come boldly into his throne room, which means his presence dwells with me, which means I carry his presence where I go. There's a ring and a mark of authority upon our lives as believers. Not flippantly, not my authority, his authority, the authority of the Father. It's not, it becomes, it's mine and like, it's Matt's authority. I have no authority without him. I have no leadership without him. I have no identity or standing without him. I can try and make it up and say, look at me and look at what I've done in in the world and look at what I've done in life and look at my business and look at my family. It's all rubbish compared to what Jesus has done. In eternity, it'll be burned up. It's nothing. Without him, we don't have authority. Without him, I don't have identity. Without him, I'm nothing. But in him, in him, garments of salvation, robes of righteousness, the ring of authority. I say, actually, no, I, do you know who I am? I'm a son of the most high God. Do you know who I am? I carry the ring of authority of the Holy Spirit and his presence upon my life. Demons flee. The sick are healed. We bring others to salvation. We show people Jesus. Yes, I'm growing in it. Yes, we don't always see the fullness of that yet. Yes, my understanding of that is growing in it. And I want to live more in that and we'll unpack that more in the future weeks of what we're clothed in. But we have to get this right now. Robes of righteousness and rings of authority. Would you stand with me this morning? I literally had like three more pages of preaching, which we'll do next, next time. Sometimes I think we just have to stop in this place and go, actually, can we respond? I don't want to preach at you. We want to be transformed. Beautiful pictures in the scripture of being covered, the shelter of the Most High. Under his wing, like, a, like an eagle would take her children under their wing. There's a protection in the robes of righteousness. There's a protection because of who he is. I want to ask this morning. Would you ask the Lord to clothe you again, to make you aware of the robes of righteousness? I want to break off some things this morning, if you would respond with me. One of the words that came through as we were praying as a team was that like Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb, that he wanted to call some dead things 
out of the tomb today and call him to life, to bring life. I think it flows from this place of righteousness. Beth, maybe you could come and play. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the free gift of salvation. I thank you, Lord, that we're clothed in robes of righteousness. Lord, that my identity is absolutely transformed when I put on Christ, that I'm made right in your eyes, that from that place, Lord, there's an authority. From that place, Lord, I can walk close with you. From that place, I can come boldly into your throne room. Lord, and I pray this morning, Lord, that where we haven't understood this reality and we've been living on scraps and we've been living on lack, that right now, in Jesus' name, there'd be a spiritual transformation. Lord, I break off the lies of the enemy. Just like there's some in the room and you're still hearing that voice of if you only knew what I did. The enemy's saying, I know what you've done. Nobody else knows what, you, what you've done. If you tell people, like, you'll be less than. And I break that off in Jesus' name. Because when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. I feel like some, we actually need to write it down like in your notebook or write it on your mirror at home that I am wearing the robe of righteousness. I am a son of Jesus. I am a son of the Most High God. I am a daughter of the Most High God. My identity has changed. That every time you look in the mirror, you say, I'm covered in the robe of righteousness. I'm covered in the robe of righteousness. Every time the enemy tries to bring up that temptation again. No, I'm covered in the robe of righteousness. I'm set free. Every time he tries to bring up guilt and shame again, even though you remember it, you say, no, my heavenly father doesn't remember it anymore, so I'm going to choose to not live in that place, but I'm going to choose to live in his presence. Let freedom come. In Jesus' name. Let freedom come right now. Be set free. Be set free in the name of Jesus. It's actually the voice of your parents over you. They're like, you're not good enough. What you hear is the enemy but you hear it in the voice of your parents because your parents have said to you, you're not good enough, you're not gonna be anything, you're a loser, you're a failure. They know what you've done. God's actually saying, no, that's not my voice. That's not the voice of the heavenly father. It might be the voice of your earthly father or mother. Say, I wanna transform, I wanna set you free. Don't live under that place. Don't live under that voice. I wanna give you a new identity. There's a new identity in Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that depression is not our identity. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Lord, that sin is not our identity. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that guilt and shame and brokenness is not our identity. Lord, that we wear a robe of righteousness. I'm going to say this morning, you're not a failure. 
even though you failed, you're not a failure. You wear the robe of righteousness. I feel like some have even been in churches and even told you're not good enough. I just want to set you free from that. It's not about whether you're good enough or not. It's Jesus Christ, and He's good enough. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Lord, we choose to rest in this place of being covered, of being made right before you, not because of our works or anything that we've done, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, would you break the power of sin? Lord, for those, Lord, who are in patterns of habitual sin this morning, Lord, would you break that power of sin in Jesus' name? That freedom would come. That freedom would come. If you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, like I said at the beginning, I'm going to give you an opportunity because it all starts with this putting on the garment of salvation. It's not something somebody else can do for you, and you don't get it by osmosis. You can't make Jesus the Lord of your life by just sitting in church for long enough. Literally, there is a decision to be made. Will you live for yourself, or will you live for Jesus? And everything that gives us status and value and worth in the world's eyes and in our culture's eyes will be tested and found wanting in the light of eternity. It's only that which we invest spiritually that will last. So I want to invite you this morning, even as the rest of us are responding and there's freedom in the house, I want to invite you this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to make that decision, to humble yourself You might be young, you might be old. It's might be the first time you sat in church. Maybe you've been here for 20 years. But if you haven't made this decision, don't go home today without saying, you know what, I'm going to humble myself. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, set me free. Set me free from my pain and my guilt and my shame and trying to do it on my own, my failure. Be the Lord of my life. to follow you. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand right now. I'm going to ask you to come to the front as we finish and get on your knees before the Lord and repent. And I guarantee His presence will come in like a flood. There's such grace and freedom. I mean, most of us in this room have had that transaction, that moment where we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And there's a, tra there's a transformation that takes place. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. I thank you for hearts transformed. I thank you for the dead being made alive. In Jesus' name. Clothe us. Clothe us today in robes of righteousness, Lord. Amen. 
hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.